Okay. How are you guys doing tonight? Good? We are continuing through 1 Samuel. Last week was an interesting chapter as we saw Saul going to a medium to try and find out what was going to happen. And in that time, uh, called up Samuel to give him advice. Just a strange, strange story and incident uh, that took place. A lot of you know, thoughts go into just what was happening there. But the end result of that is as Saul saw the Philistine army getting ready to battle, he was afraid. And he wanted some kind of assurance that God was going to be there, that he was going to survive, basically. And he got nothing from the priests. He got nothing from everywhere that he went. So he went to a medium to try and get something, and he wanted to call up Samuel. And the news he got wasn't what he wanted. He actually got news that he didn't want it. Samuel told him that you're going to die, you and your sons, and Israel is going to be taken by the Philistine uh, army. And I told you so, basically, is what Samuel told Saul. And so Saul was like a dead person, and we saw that this medium fed him and the men who were with him. And that's where we left off, basically, last week with this medium and what had taken place. And now we're going back to David. Remember also at the beginning of chapter 28, David was mounting up with Achish, the king in the Philistine area, and was going to come alongside of him with him in battle. And we talked a little bit about, was he really going to do this or not? And then there was a, the change of scenes that went to Saul. And so we had the whole Saul incident. Well, the scene is changing once again, and, and we're back with David in chapter 29, verse 1. It says, the Philistines gathered all their forces at Apek, and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commander of the Philistine asked, what about these Hebrews? Achish replied, Is this not David, who was an officer over Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year, a year, four months exactly. And from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish and said, Send him back, that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So the scene cuts back and now we're with the Philistine army and there in the back of the army is David and his men, 600 of them total. And one of the Philistine commanders says, hey, what's he doing here? In verse 2, it says, what about these Hebrews? And this is one of those things where what's wrong with this picture? Okay, 
Here is the Philistine army marching against Israel, and here is David and his band of men marching with them. What are you doing here? What chain of events caused this to happen? Something just isn't right with this picture. And everything about it just strikes strange. And so the Philistine commanders are uneasy. We know about this guy. We don't want to fight next to him because he's going to turn on us and take our heads. Achish is saying, he's been with me for over a year. I trust him. And they're saying, I don't care if you trust him or not. This is the one they sang about. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And so we see in this picture that there's this turmoil that's taking place And it's a turmoil that is probably evident because something doesn't seem right here. As he's going to turn against and fight against us. Now, we had asked this question before. Would David have turned against him or would he have surrendered to the pressure of the moment and fought against Israel? What do you guys think? Think he would have turned against him? You know, we find ourselves with this dilemma. Here he has been promised the throne. He's been anointed by the prophet. He has an understanding of these things. But we saw in chapter 27 at the beginning, David said to himself or said in his own heart, Saul's going to kill me. I've got to go. And we talked at length about the voices that we tell ourselves, the things that we tell ourselves and the voices we listen to, how we can change the course of our life by the things that we tell ourselves. And David told himself something that wasn't true, that everyone had told him wasn't going to be true, but the, the moment I'm tired of running from Saul, one of these days it was too close of a call, this time he's going to kill me. And so David told himself, For sure, Saul's going to kill me. I need to go hide with the Philistines. And then he was raiding different villages and just kind of living in this dark place in his life. For a year and four months, no psalms were written. He's now buddying up with the king of the Philistines, even though he's deceptive in what he's doing with his raids. And we come to this place where he's lined up to fight with the Philistine army They don't trust him, and it doesn't say whether he was or wasn't. As we go on this story, it doesn't play out. But, you know, it only takes a moment to change the direction of our lives. It only takes a moment for us to make a bad choice to give in to pressure if we find ourselves in a bad place. And David is in a bad place. And so, who knows? We can't say for sure. I lean to the side that he wouldn't have. But what's he doing here in the first place? You know, it wasn't a good place for him to be. And it's these kinds of places that we find ourselves in when we succumb to the pressure. It's at the enemy's fire when Peter is warming himself that he denies the Lord. It's, what are you doing there 
at that time, that's when the problems can arise. You know, so many times when I'm talking to someone maybe in, in counseling and they said, well, I got in a fight and I, and I say, okay, wait, 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 before we go on to the next step, why did you get in the fight? Well, this guy said something to me and, and it started, okay, who's this guy? And well, I was in this bar with this guy, you know, and you start going back and you say, okay, you know, it started before the fight. There was the decisions you made here. There was the too much alcohol consumed. There was the, you know, problem you had with someone. And then it resulted in the fight. It didn't just all of a sudden there was a fight. And you trace it back and you see that there was being in the wrong place caused wrong actions to happen. And I can talk about that in my life. I'm sure all of you can. We all have those moments where if I wasn't here, this wouldn't have happened. If I didn't do this, it wouldn't have led to this and it wouldn't have led to this. And so there is this chain of events that has taken place that finds David here at this place at this time. And, and I wonder when David heard them saying, this is the one they sang about. Saul has killed his slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. I mean, you think about that. That was shortly after the incident with Goliath. Now it's a distant memory years ago. A distant memory of where he once was, and also a painful reminder of where he now is. As he hears this, it probably seems like a lifetime ago because I've been on the run for so many years. I've been in exile for so long. It's hard to remember that life. It's hard to remember when that was happening, but it was still there. That song still played out even in the enemy's camp. And it's just an interesting thing how sometimes that reminder, even that song, can take him back to that place. You know, maybe sometimes even as Danny's singing, you know, some of these songs we've been singing for a while and you just remember that song and it's such a, a strong reminder that one thing remains. His love never fails. It never gives up. You know, those kinds of things just might bring us back to the, I remember when I held on to that truth, but maybe you're far away from it now and you're wondering, where is that? Is it a distant memory or is it a reminder that things aren't that way where he is right now? And so Achish in verse six, called David and said to him, as surely as the Lord lives, which is interesting because now he's using David's terminology. He's using the Lord's name, trying, in a sense, he, we don't know if he's just showing David support, but he's using the Lord's name in this way. You have been reliable. In other words, I trust you and what your belief has been. You have been reliable. And I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. And so he's saying, I trust you. You've done nothing that would find fault in my eyes. Now, is that true? He lied to him, right? He was lying to Achish. He was going and raiding villages that weren't in Judea. 
but he was telling Akish that they were, trying to give him the appearance that I'm, you know, an enemy of your enemy, so I'm your friend. But that wasn't entirely true. And again, something about this is just as ugly, right? Here's this king who's an enemy of Israel, but who has found favor, you know, with David. And it's like, that seems like a good thing. You know how it is in those stories or TV miniseries is always do this, you know, where it's like, oh, this is the bad guy. But then there's a twist of events. Oh, they're not the bad guy. They're really a good person. You know, I thought they were bad, but now they're good. But then it changes again. Well, they might be bad, but I don't know if they are bad. And you're wondering, who are you? What's going to happen? And it's one of those scenarios where are you a bad guy? You seem like a nice guy right now to David. And Saul is being a jerk. So maybe we aren't for Saul. Maybe we are for this King Achish, because Saul is a jerk. Saul killed the prophets, and, and Saul has done all these things. And I, I bring all this out to point out, you know, we, we try and draw real clean lines. God is for these people. God is against these people. But throughout the history of Israel, God has allowed nations to come in and teach Israel a lesson. And he's told them, no, your disobedience... I'm going to bring in the Babylonians. I'm going to bring in the Assyrians. I'm going to now allow the Philistines or maybe the Romans or whoever. They're going to come in and they're going to conquer you so that you will turn around. And so an interesting play of events as we know who Saul is. And this Achish seems like a nice guy. Verse 11 or verse 9. Achish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. And this term, an angel of God, is a general expression. He's not using the covenant name Yahweh. It's Ha Elohim. It's just a reference to you, you've been like a, a messenger from God. So he's not using a divine name. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, he must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master's servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went. Wait, I missed a verse, didn't I? I missed verse eight. I'm sorry. But what have I done? Asked David, what have you found against your servant from the day I came unto you till now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? So we don't know if David is sincere or if once again he's acting. Again, is, has he changed? Has there something transpired or was he planning to fight? It doesn't tell us. It just doesn't say. We're left to wonder. I wonder if. I don't think so, but maybe. Why was he, again... It seems like this guy's a nice guy. He's giving David all these, you know, accolades, and David is turning and saying, okay. And I wonder how many times God is intervening in a divine way. That this isn't God's intervention, steering David out of this and using the other people as a voice to accomplish what he wants. Maybe David was going to find himself in harm's way. Maybe he was going to be killed. Maybe David was going to make a bad decision. And just like, you know, 
Abigail turned David aside from killing Nabal. Maybe the Lord was using these Philistine commanders to turn David away, to keep him out of this place where one day, even as David said, the enemies could be saying, well, or the people of Israel would say, you fought against us at one time. You can't be our king. And it would have tarnished his name and his ability to do the things that God wanted him. And so God works and uses the enemy too. And maybe that was taking place here. Maybe this is divine intervention. And God is actually removing David from the scene. But it's an interesting change of events. And then in verse or chapter 30, we go on. It says, David and his men reached Ziklag. Remember, this is the city they were living in. They were taking refuge in. On the third day, now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. I wonder, you know, you think about how intense this would be. First, you're in this posture where we're going against Israel. And whether David was planning on fighting or planning on turning against the Philistines, we don't know, but a a tense situation. And then, okay, get out of here. Go back. And so either way, to me, it seems like it'd be like, you know, good, I don't have to fight. I mean, this fighting wasn't a fun thing. This is bloody mess that's going on. Okay, so we go back and you get to your city and it's burned to the ground. As you're approaching it, you see the smoke or the smoldering or the destruction and you get there and your family is gone. And just as it was divine intervention by God to steer David away from the battle, I wonder if this too isn't divine intervention. I wonder if God is not working in this situation to accomplish something else in David's heart before David becomes king. Changing how he is as this deceptive person who's going around raiding and destroying all these small villages. Now it's happened to him. Now it has touched home. Now his wives and children and that of his men have all been taken captive. They have been taken away and they've been taken but not killed. In other words, they were going to be slaves. So it wasn't like, oh, good, they're all alive. It wasn't a good situation. It's still a bad thing for them, knowing that your child has been abducted and is now going to be slave for someone's purposes. Imagine that thought going around in your mind or your wife now being used for someone else's purposes and pleasure. That That's haunting. In verse 3, when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no more strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And, and so Carmel... 
imagine the grief that's going on here. David was greatly distressed because the men were taking, talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. It seems to be going downhill. David's family is gone, and then he's greatly distressed in verse 6 because the men were talking of stoning him. Why do you think they're talking of stoning David? Yeah, he, he's the reason we're here. He's the reason we left. Got to blame somebody, right? David, you're the guy. And so he's greatly distressed. Okay, not only is this personal calamity, but now the people are talking about killing you and blaming you for this. How do you get from that place being greatly distressed to a place where you find strength in the Lord? What takes place that moves David from being in a dark hole to having hope. And and again, it's amazing how quickly things can change in our lives. But notice that it says that David found strength in the Lord. Some translations will say David strengthened himself in the Lord. There is a part that David is playing in this change that's taking place. David is the one finding the strength. David is the one taking this strength from the Lord. And it's interesting because David doesn't sit there in his problem and say, you know, I just need time. You guys, give me time to just mourn and get myself together, which is what, you know, a lot of times we'll do. Hey, I just got to clear my head to see what's going on. I need to, you know, find out what's going on. David doesn't do that. David doesn't take this position and this posture of defeat. He takes this posture of, I'm going to move forward. And so he starts strengthening himself. Now, let me ask you, how do we find strength in God in the times when we face things that are difficult? You know, David lost his wives and his children, and they're about to kill him. Pretty desperate times. What about us when we've lost a job, when we are sick or we've lost someone that we love or we're in a situation of, you know, calamity, some kind of uh, physical, financial burden. How do we find strength in God? Pray. Okay, we pray. Past experiences, remembering. Remembering remembering what? What God has done, his faithfulness, his words, his promises. And start remembering... I belong to the Lord. What would have happened if David didn't come back? He would have lost his family completely. Well, we're going to find he didn't. Spoiler alert. I mean, so 
again, there's divine intervention in these things that are helping David to come. And, you know, we find strength by remembering what God has said in his promises to us, you know, by that relationship that we have, that we do belong to him. We, we find strength remembering uh, the things that he has done, his goodness and how he's delivered his people. For David, you know, he strengthened himself remembering the heritage that he has with God and his people, the deliverance from Egypt, the victories in Jericho, the parting of the Red Sea, the Jordan. We we have this history. We know what God has done and God is able to do. I remember Goliath and what happened there. I just heard that song again, Saul slain his thousands and I slain the tens of thousands. You have been with me, God, and you're with me still. And so he strengthens himself in who God is, not just who God is out there, but who God is for him and in his life. And how important is that then to have that kind of a relationship where we can strengthen ourselves because of what God has done in our lives? Because he has spoken to our hearts, because he has brought us out of the pit, because he has given us solid rock to to build our lives on and move forward. And then when the trouble comes, we can look back and say, look what God has done. He didn't bring me here to abandon me. He didn't bring me out here to this place to allow these men to kill me. And he strengthened himself. And what happens when a person is strengthened in God? We're going to see what happens Then David said to Abathar the priest, verse 7, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party, and will I overtake them? This was something David failed to do a few chapters ago when he fled to the Philistines' hands. He failed to inquire of the Lord. Remember, he just said, oh, no, he thought within his own heart, God, they're going to kill me. I'm going to go. He didn't inquire of the Lord. He hasn't, it's at least to our knowledge, inquired of God since before when he was in Israel wondering what to do, whether they should attack or not attack and follow after these people. In fact, there's a few times where he had asked twice. But now he asks again. And I think it's amazing because he says, shall I pursue them? And it says, pursue them. The Lord answered him, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So from a discouraged place to an assertive place, David doesn't stop and wait for comfort. He sets out to change what has happened. He doesn't sit back and say, okay, God, do something says, God, I want to do this. Will we do this and will we be successful? And God says, yeah. And he postures himself to move forward. What does that do to the people who are picking up rocks, getting ready to kill him? David's sitting there and all of a sudden something happens. In David's soul, something happens and it turns into something that they visibly can see. And now he gets up and he goes to the priest and he says, bring me the ephod. What's he doing? Why, what's he getting the ephod for? 
We're going to go after these people. We're going to go after these people. All of a sudden, their minds have been lifted from the tragedy that is facing them to the hope of what can happen. And David is the one who moves their minds from this place of we want to kill you, we hate what's happened, we hate our lives as they are now, to this place of, is God going to help us get our wives and our children back? Can we overtake them? They hadn't thought about that. They had been so overwhelmed with the event that happened, they were just mourning. They were angry. They were in distress. And David, the one who they're about to kill, is the one who now changes their distress and puts them on the offensive and moves them to a different frame of mind. I love that. I love that. And I think the greatest victories in our lives are probably at that moment in the darkest despair. The biggest change we can make in our lives is that time when everything seems hopeless and we find strength in God. And instead of saying, oh God, there's nothing good here. It's over. I don't know what to do. I surrender. I just give up, God. I'm done. Instead of saying, I will not die like this. I will not let my life be remembered by this. I am not this person I am going to, with my last breath and my last step, make the difference that I believe God can make in my life. To hell with this situation. I'm done with it. I'm moving forward. And there is this passion and change that takes place that can only take place in these dark moments that we have to find the resolve to strengthen ourselves in God when Everything else looks bleak. In fact, when your friends are trying to kill you, you can change their lives by yours. Man, powerful. Not going to be defined here by this. I'm not going to die like this. This isn't what I've been called to do. I've been anointed to be the king. You have been anointed to be the light of this world. Wherever you're at, and whatever is going on, recognize that the anointing that God has given to David is nothing compared to the anointing he's given to us. We are his children Prophets and kings have longed to see what we see, have seen and not seen it. We have an inheritance. We have been called the sons and daughters of God. Oh, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. That is who you are. Where are you with the reality of that? David didn't settle. He didn't say there, God says, you'll overtake them and you'll rescue them. And so verse 9, David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Valley where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. 
they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, Who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerithites, some territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. Ooh, that's their city. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I'll take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of their other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. We were going to kill you the other day, but now you're the guy. You're the man. It's kind of like Laker fans, you know. <laughs> they recognized this. They lost nothing. They lost nothing. In fact, they gained more. What an amazing change of events. This is... You know, from a place of my family is gone to my livelihood is gone and now to have it all back and then some. And so there is this change of heart, this recognition as the Amalekites are all drunken and, you know, all over the place just because of their spoils, they're thinking no one's going to come after us. The Philistines are on their way to battle here. We had a perfect time. This was a great opportunity. They didn't know that David got sent back, and they weren't counting on anyone attacking them. They came, 400 flew, fled away on their camels, but otherwise they took everything back. In verse 21, then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Boser Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and the troublemaker among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. Okay. So now there's a little divisiveness taking in the camp. These 200 people were too tired. They got left behind. The 400 said they have no right to the things that we fought. We'll let them have their wives back. <laughs> That's nice of you. And their children. But everything else belongs to us. And it's interesting because these are David's followers, but it marks them as evil men and troublemakers among David's troops. 
So they're not all great guys. They're not always all great guys that are in our midst. Some are evil maker, troublemakers. You know, some people are just like that. David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. Something's changing. David's recognizing God's divine hand. You know, God's hand kept us from going to battle just in time so we could find out what had happened to our wives, children, and livestock. We ran into that Egyptian fellow. He didn't die yet. He was on the verge, and he led us down here, and we got everything back and then some. The hand of the Lord is on us. This isn't just our doing. This recognition of what the Lord has given us he has protected us and delivered us, delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the men who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. And so... David says they have as much part of this that stayed back with the things as those who went out to battle. And this is an important concept. We see this in the church, that we are all part of the body that make up the body of Christ. Each one of us has a part to play. We are all members of the same body. And so there's not one that's more important than the other. And this understanding is prevalent throughout Scripture that there is supposed to be this connection with one another and the support for one another, that every member has its importance and has its purpose. And it's also interesting because this was already an ordinance. In Numbers 31, verse 27, it says, Divide the spoils equally between the soldiers who took part in the battle and the rest of the community. So God had already made this requirement. That way the soldiers don't go off and become their own little, you know, community. They have to be connected to the whole. And so the soldiers who go off, they have to share the spoils with the entire community. So God has already cared about these things and has written them down. And David even went further to make it an ordinance for Israel from that day that even those who stayed back in the army who didn't go out to battle, they were entitled to the same things um, that the others do. Anything stand out to you guys at this point and just what's happened? Yeah, definitely a change of events. We can find ourselves numb sometimes, indifferent to God and where he is to us. Oh, I believe in God. Well, where is he in your life? Well, I, I believe in God but he's not really involved or live speaking, and we do seem to be distant, you know. And it's not that God is far away. We're just indifferent and numb to those things. And this definitely is a wake-up call to that understanding. Any other thoughts on this? Okay, verse 26. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. David sent it to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jatir, to those in Aror, 
Sifmoth, this other place, and Rakhile, to those in the towns of the Jerahimulites and the Kenites, to those in Horma, Bor, Ashen, Atak, and Hebron, and to those in all the other places where he and his men had roamed. So David sent spoil to more than 13 different cities, to the places he's been a part of, and back to Judah. They had so much, they didn't keep it all. David sent some of it back. Why do you think he did that? Keep them mindful of the Lord. Any other thoughts? Um, I think these were more the towns in Judah. I think these are back to the areas, not so much that he had raided, um, but back in Israel. Remember, David was anointed to be king, but he was in a different place. And what he's doing is sending things ahead of time. He's paving the way for when he's going to go back. It seems as if there's a change in David's mind from this place of this is where I guess I'm going to live in, in Ziklag. This is who I am. Last year, four months have been this, you know, wandering and this just kind of indifferent place. And all of a sudden there's this revival that takes place in his heart. And he starts sending things back to where one day he is supposed to be. It's almost as if he has these eyes of faith to see that I'm going back and I'm going to start showing goodwill to my people. And so he starts sending these things back, preparing the people for his arrival. The fact that I'm going to be there at one time, you know, or in some time, I I think of just, um, I think it's in Luke 13, Luke 16, where Jesus gives the parable of the shrewd manager, right, who takes the money that's owed to his Lord and makes it smaller so that he looks good in those people's eyes. So that way, when he loses his job, he'll be welcomed. And so here, David is preparing the way so that he'll be welcomed when he gets back to these people. And it's almost an act of faith and a realization that I am going back. And so I'm going to start living my life based on the life that I want to live. Does that make sense? I'm going to allow the life that I really believe God has called me to, to be a reality in my life today. And again, just like he did in chapter 27, when David spoke in his mind, Saul's going to kill me, I need to flee. David is now speaking something different in his mind. I'm going to be the king. I'm going to start acting like the king. Yeah, David. It was definitely to bring support to them. You know, definitely. I mean, things weren't going well under Saul's rule. Saul wasn't a good king. You know, a lot of people were probably, you know, not doing as well as they should have been. And so, Carolyn? He's actually, yeah, moving forward in the direction that he was anointed to be in. You know, And again, I think this is a challenge for us because we can get so caught up in our situations that we forget 
who we are and what we're supposed to be and do. And it can be overwhelming. I mean, and, you know, I think of Corrine in my life throughout the years and the struggles that we've had with uh, jobs and with children and, you know, with all these different things that have taken place where we've had times where it's like overwhelming and we just get locked into this place and we forget the things that God has put on our heart and inspired us to do and to be. And when we start remembering and start actually living as if that's a reality, we don't let our lives be defined by our circumstances. We actually change the circumstances and define our lives to what we want to be. And I think that's important for us to be able to do and to remember. Still an important thing. I mean, we see the importance of this kind of, you know, belief that swear to me by your God so that I can know that it's legitimate, you know. I mean, God had a big role in people's lives. I mean, what what an amazing change of events, right, from chapter 29 to chapter 30. I mean, just in a short time, I mean, could go back to chapter 28 when David started this. I mean, there's just so much happening, and, and... I always am aware of how quickly things change for the bad. It always seems easy to find out. You know, when, you know, the car breaks down and something else, you know, the refrigerator or the washing machine goes out, you know, at the same time. You know, I'm aware of how quickly things are in the deficit. But what if we thought about how quickly things could turn for the benefit. What if we could actually make things change in our lives for the good by the things that we did and how we conducted ourselves and interacted with other people and in a short time go from this place of desperation to a place of contentment and restoration? Yes. They should come to our church now. Um, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, she was the change. You know, she became the change, and that's what we see here. David became the change. Well, it's easy to, when you fall into that depression, you know, things can overwhelm you. You know, I've had situations even recently with family members, you know, where they had one event go wrong and pretty soon anything goes wrong and it's like an explosion, you know. Even a baking, you know, catastrophe can set you off, you know. I mean, it's just, um, that's why I don't bake. Um, Yeah, anything can just compound that and pretty soon you get locked into that this isn't going to change. This isn't going to change. I don't see how it can change. I don't see how it can change. But David didn't stay there. David said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the change. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He says, no, this isn't who I am. This isn't where I'm going to die. This isn't how it's going to end. I'm going to make the difference. And he did. Important. Any other thoughts on these chapters? Well, let's pray because we got some dessert. My daughter made some wonderful, what is it? It's a... Uh, Strawberry yogurt cake.
she wanted us to have it. And there's still, I'm sure, pizza and, and chicken there. So let's con- have a Thursday night love feast. Anyway, let's pray. Father, I, I am so, um, I was so encouraged by these two chapters. And again, seeing David and his change of heart and direction and how he made the difference once again, not only in his own life, but in the lives of those around him. And even that further into the nation as he was generous and as he took his eyes off of his circumstances and made, Father, a different life for himself. God, I I pray that you would give us, Lord, uh, insight into how we can do the same thing in our own lives, that we can take charge of where we are at. And if we are unhappy in our situation and in our condition, that we can strengthen ourselves in you and make a different life for ourselves. And Father, you have not left us. We can strengthen ourselves with your promises that you've given us, that you don't leave us, you don't forsake us, that you've come to give us life and life to the full. That if you were willing to give your son so that we could have a relationship with you, how much more will you give all things to us pertaining to life? And Lord, we have such a blessed future, such a blessed hope and assurance in you. May we not be bogged down by those things that would steal our life and steal our joy and rob us from the life that we can have if we would but strengthen ourselves in you. And I thank you again for your encouragement and this time we have, Lord. Bless, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.